what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church, find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of my review from last year, looking forward to this next year and reading a little John Calvin at the end. And really, that's about it. I know there's a lot of people writing overtures. Right now, there's a lot of overtures coming in. And yet, you know, speaking as someone who chaired a committee with, you know, 30-something overtures last year and, I don't know, two pages front and back, single-spaced of separate requests from those overtures, I'm going to say, I don't think we need any more overtures. Now, I know people are writing it. People are trying to kind of tweak and they're trying to figure out how to kind of move forward based on a lot of the information we had last year, everybody kind of knows where the conversation's going regarding gravamen. And so they have an idea. They want to kind of shape that a little bit. I understand that. And, and some of that might be helpful, but I think in some ways it might just also muddy the waters even more because we already have a ton. All those 30 overtures from my committee basically got moved to next year. And so we're going to pile on that more. Um, committee is going to have 40 50 overtures to go through there. There's no way they're going to be able to go through all of those. And so again, one of the things we need to do is I don't think we need any overtures really coming through our classes right now. We need good delegates who are going to go to synod, do the work of synod, make some good hard decisions at this next synod based on the information we have. I do know of some good overtures being written regarding discipline, disaffiliation. I think some of those can be coming through. I think those are helpful ones, but especially when it comes to gravamen, I don't think we need any more information. We just need to make the hard decision that 
that's to be made. But I think there could be some helpful clarifying done about what's going to happen at this next synod regarding discipline and disaffiliation. And uh, that's really, you know, as I look toward this next synod, as I look toward synod 2024, those are the two main things that are going to be the main focus of this next synod. It's going to be gravamen and discipline slash disaffiliation. Um, everybody I talk to knows that those are the two main things coming up at this synod. And so if you're a delegate going, you need to do the work of understanding those things well and understanding church order well and reading what it says and studying it so that you can make an argument from the floor, make an argument in your advisory committee. But one of the things I really want to point out, and this is and this is something we need to be really careful about, is we know these are the two main issues coming up at this synod. And what I want to say is I want to make sure we don't get distracted by anything else. We need to have a laser focus on these two issues. We all know that there are a million different things that need to get done. We all know that there are lots of different problems in the Christian Reformed Church. But if we try to do all of that in one synod, it's never going to happen. There's uh, Everybody knows, I think, I, I like to read history. I like to read kind of old military stories. I like to read military strategy and understand all of that. And, and one of the big things, and most people know this about military strategy, is economy of force. A military spread out widely is not as effective, but they, they want to concentrate their energy and their effort into one or two places, usually one place. And when you concentrate your energy and your effort into one place or two places, you want to make sure that they're the most strategic, high-priority targets, right? Well, these are the two priority targets that are very strategic at this next synod. Gravamen and some form of discipline slash disaffiliation. And, and if we can focus all of our energy and effort on these two things, I think many of the other dominoes are going to continue to fall after that. And we're actually seeing that in people's responses. I, I found it really interesting to pay attention on X as uh, some of the more progressive-minded people have been describing what has been going on in the denomination and as they talk about the future. Or even as Abide had talked about, as uh, Tyler and Cedric kind of gave a report on this secret Grand Rapids East meeting, um, one of the things that came up over and over and over again is that Grand Rapids East is looking at Synod 2024, and they are saying, hey, it looks like, in their words, that we're going to restrict Gravamen. In our words, we would say, well, we're going to continue to do what we should have been doing all along, which is what church order says it is. And Grand Rapids East is also convinced that there's going to be more discipline coming this next year. And so, like, and, and I'm seeing people say that on Facebook. I'm hearing people say kind of in a mournful tone that, oh, I, it would be so great if Synod would lighten up on this gravamen stuff, but we all know that's not going to happen. 
And so we see the progressives recognizing that that the CRC is growing a backbone. It's taking us longer than many people would want. It's uh, causing some problems. We got some frustrations, but we are growing a backbone. We are taking a stand. We are making some hard uh, hard decisions, having some hard conversations. And so they are expecting Synod 2024 to kind of embrace the, the, the majority report on Gravamen from last year. I'm sure there's going to be some tweaks to it about timeline and all of that. But in general, what came out of the majority report is going to be adopted at Synod 2024. Like most of the progressives see that happening. And most of the progressives know that discipline is coming and some form of disaffiliation. And that's why there are people working on trying to figure out paths of disaffiliation right now. Progressives are working on it. Conservatives are working on it. And so we know these two things are going to happen. I'm almost certain these two things are going to happen at Synod 2024. And so I want to encourage us, focus on those two things. And if we can accomplish those two things, it really will completely change the course of our denomination. And all the rest of these dominoes of frustration will begin to fall after that. We still are going to have work to do, but the dominoes are going to continue to fall. And, uh, you know, as I talk about that, um, I was reminded of a conversation I had with somebody following um, following Synod and and just talking to some people this fall as I was finding out that there were some, even some conservative churches who were frustrated that we uh, weren't, you know, there wasn't more discipline done for Neyland and some kind of churches that were frustrated about how the progressives kind of politically manipulated Synod by storming out at the end there. And people just got frustrated. And so churches were beginning to talk about leaving the denomination, conservative churches. And, uh, and this person I was talking to said, you know, the only way we lose is if we quit. The only way we lose is if we quit. And, and I want us all to hear that. I know you can get frustrated. I know it's annoying. I know you get tired of feeling like a denomination's like fighting against you rather than actually supporting and helping you. I, I realize all of that, but the only way we lose is if we quit. And so it's again, just a me pleading with you, pleading with the, every church out there, don't quit. Keep fighting the good fight. Support each other, encourage each other, Come alongside if you know you have a church in your area that's getting frustrated and wore out from this kind of fight for reformation. Come alongside them, encourage them, support them. Talk about what needs to happen in order for them to stay in the denomination. How how can they feel more supported by the denomination as we move forward? And, And then go to the Courageous Leadership Conference in April. Sorry, shameless plug there. But seriously, go to that conference so that you can gather with more like-minded believers and we can talk about what's going on and talk about how we can be courageous leaders in the Christian Reformed Church. Because what we're seeing is this is a time that that's needed. We're in a time where we need 
to have courageous leaders. And that doesn't mean courageous leaders who are leading their churches out of the denomination. That's courageous leaders who are standing in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the frustration, and fighting faithfully for this denomination. Because we want to see God's name lifted up. We want to see God's name glorified. We want to see his name magnified. And we want to be able to get done with this reformation and say, look at what God did. Through a bunch of messed up, weak people, God saved a denomination. That's why we're doing this. You know, that kind of leads me to uh, a quote I want to read. It's a pretty long quote. Um, it's really one of the reasons why I'm wanting to give away uh, this a copy of Calvin's sermons on the book of Acts at our conference, because I'm in the middle of kind of reading through this, and I just find it to be gold. Um, Calvin is an amazing preacher, and uh, and he has a just a way of kind of getting down to the point, but I'm also reading through it and constantly seeing things that are very, very relevant to our current situation. And so I want to read some words from Calvin as we kind of start to come closer to the end of this. It's going to be a little long. Um, it's not going to be like audiobook quality, but I want to read it because I think it's very relevant. And then uh, I want to share from a psalm. But here's what, here's what Calvin had to say. He said, it's true, there will be many individuals, as I've said, who will claim to preach the gospel and not want to be thorough hypocrites. But if you then exhort them to declare publicly against the errors they think the people engage in, they will say they do not wish to place themselves in danger and must avoid an occasion for sin. Really? And when the poor, ignorant people fall into a ditch, Will they be made to sin when someone pulls them out? Must we not cry out, keep yourselves from this perverse generation when we realize that everyone is going to hell? Let's not think our Lord can tolerate seeing himself and his word mocked this way anymore. Any more than he can tolerate seeing those who are responsible for his flock watch it perish this way without concern. Further, we see their impudence when they accuse us of excessive severity and say, you do not need to lash out this way against the Pope and his people and call him Antichrist. You can preach the gospel well enough without such accusations. What good does it do to say that priests are ravenous wolves who devour the flock of Jesus and poison everyone with their false doctrine? Calvin says, those men are really dreadful teachers. They should have been born sooner so they could have taught Peter how to preach and instruct him what to say. That's the way those scoundrels imitate evangelists for a sop as much in France as in Italy, being urged on by their wits to deceive and please men by all they proclaim. But we do not have to do that. We must be confident that what we understand is from God and his Holy Spirit, for in truth we are taught by God in this passage that if we wish to come to him through our Lord Jesus Christ, we must rid ourselves of this perverse generation. For we cannot do that unless we separate ourselves from their lies and deceits. It's generally believed that since God's promises are ours, we are no longer encompassed by the defilements of this world. And there are no worse defilements than those in the world. For we see that the devil is always sowing it with error upon error, lie upon lie, so that by turning to Jesus Christ, 
and beseeching him to favor us with deliverance, we may live more and more in him and be changed more and more by him. Now, just as Peter spoke of the perverse generation of his time, so must we understand we must do the same today, not only among the papists, but also among those who have made profession of receiving God's teaching. And we must remember that the word of God must be proclaimed and preached fervently, and that unacknowledged sins must be rooted out, for the devil works hard to undermine everything we build up. Let's see that the matter early on, because if we leave the poison there too long without counteracting it, it will infect the whole body and bring death. We must cry out against this infection. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And if anyone says we can preach without such vehemence, vehemence, we must consider that Peter speaks just as Christ spoke before. For even though the scribes and Pharisees had God's teaching and were mingling their false teachings with it, Jesus Christ nevertheless cries out in opposition as if wanting to destroy everything. Now we see which of them is much worse than the other, the scribes or the Pharisees. It's true that Jesus Christ reproaches them for closing the door on the teaching. They do not wish to enter, and yet they prevent those who come to the door from entering. But the Pharisees are more dangerous, for they turn aside those who are already on the narrow way and lead them away from holy enterprises. Are we servants of God if we turn a blind eye to that? Are we to keep silent when we see some people indulging every evil practice and others filled with greed, usury, and strong-arm tactics? If we do, villainous and dissolute acts and inconsistencies will have a stronger upper hand than ever. Others will come to vent their damnable blasphemies against God and his word, saying, And since Jesus Christ has died for us, it's not enough that we know it without citing the Old Testament as if Jesus Christ had not come into the world. Oh, let us flee from such blasphemers. When we hear such blasphemies, we must fear that our Lord will immediately give Satan permission to throw us all into consternation, and that in our bewilderment we will be at a loss to know what to do, as in fact is already the case. Many more will be found that God has completely abandoned. They are no longer aware that salvation is by Jesus Christ through his word and by his acts of grace toward us. Those blasphemers will shred him into small pieces and have no more reverence for his holy name than dogs have. That is a good enough reason to say, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Suppose I see a man so near a precipice that if he takes but one or two more steps, he'll fall into it and be killed. Will it be enough if I but say to him, watch where you're going? Not at all. I must shout, hey, don't take another step. Stop where you are, or you'll break your neck. That's exactly what we must do. For we see many on the verge of stumbling fatally. If we leave them alone without a word of caution, we betray God and you as well. When we say that some are given to adulteries and excesses and others to usuries, strong, strong arm tactics, and so many other wicked deeds, we have to shout, hey, not another step. You're nearing the pit of hell. If you fall in, you will never get out and count on it. You will be in never-ending torment. Such is the responsibility we receive from our Lord Jesus Christ and learn from his word, and so we must fulfill it.
time now prevents us from saying more. We shall keep the rest for another time. But we need to remember that if we do not ask God to help us and fill us with the desire for his name's honor and glory and for the advancement of his kingdom and the welfare and advantage of our neighbors, we will not be able to draw near to him and abandon that perverse generation which entices us into its condemnation. To do that, we must receive the word of God with all reverence, and his word must be our bread and healing balm. Bread, because it's the spiritual food which eternally nourishes our souls. Healing balm, because it cleanses all stains which so defile and deform our souls that they dare not present themselves before God. This is why we must cry out against the dissolute acts and inconsistency so prevalent now. For after we've warned them that they are going to hell, they still pay no attention, but rather abound increasingly in their wickedness. We must confront them. And if we see that those who are to correct others are themselves encouraging them, then we have to cry out, You poor people are destroying yourselves. You're hard on the heels of your ruin. Watch out. For those who encourage the wicked in their iniquity strangled them more than the hangman who had put a rope around their neck. Do not be surprised that when we who wish to please God must be humble enough to prostrate ourselves, for we shall never come to Jesus Christ unless we abase ourselves so he can lift us up and so nothing can keep us from following the pure teaching of God such as he reveals it to us. Oof. Part of me wants to dive into that more, and the other part of me just wants to leave that. I'm going to post that full transcript, um, that full quotation on our substack along with this episode so that you can read it, uh, meditate on it, hear the words that that Calvin speaks, because I think he speaks clearly to us today. I have to say, before I start to wrap this up with a final reminder from the Psalms, um, it's easy to hear what Calvin has to say in that and think about everyone else, or even to think about the progressives in the church and their failure, their failure to do what God has called them to do. But we also need to look at ourselves. We need to look at ourselves and see where we have failed to do what God has called us to do. In our own personal life, in our churches, our classes, in our denomination. Some of that failure has been the result of our own laziness and sinfulness, our refusal to get in and do the hard work of being involved in a denomination, but also some of that has been our just refusal to do what God has called us to do regarding discipline. Are we doing discipline in our local churches? And are we doing discipline in our classes? And are we doing discipline as a denomination? Because it's easy for us to holler and bellow about the discipline that needs to be done at a denominational level, but it's much harder for us to begin enacting it in our own lives and in our families and in our churches and in our classes. Uh, So we need to repent. We need to hear the hard words, step back from the cliff, and follow God. I want to end with just some words from uh, the book of Psalms. 
Um, I've made it a habit for the last, I don't know, 15 years probably where I read a new psalm every morning along with my devotions, and I've found them to be super helpful in just guiding my prayer life. But a while back, I came across Psalm 38, and I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but a portion of Psalm 38. And I remember taking a note of it in my Bible and saying, this is a psalm for reformers. And, and I wanted to to share it today because, again, this is our goal is to equip you and to equip ourselves to be reformers in the Christian Reformed Church. And we can do that by studying strategy and tactics and and studying history, but uh, we believe in the ordinary means of grace. And so one of the primary ways that we can be equipped to be reformers in our own lives, in our churches, in our denomination, is by reading God's word and being shaped by it. And so this portion from Psalm 38, it's verses 15 through 22, uh, really, really jumped out at me as I read them. Psalmist writes, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It's you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips, for I'm ready to fall. My pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They're mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongly. Those who render me evil for good accuse me as I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. If we're going to lead Reformation in the church, in the CRCNA in particular, we need to learn this psalm. We need to memorize this psalm because it speaks to almost everything I see going on in my own heart in the midst of this Reformation. And uh, it speaks to the things, everything I see going on in the lives of other people as well. It begins by speaking about patience. He says, I will wait for you, O Lord, because I know you, O Lord, are the one who will answer. And in the midst of these battles for reformation, we grow impatient very quickly. And we want things to happen in our way, on our timeline. And we get frustrated when they don't happen in our way, on our timeline. And the psalm reminds us, we need to wait. We need to wait for God to do his work. But it also speaks as in the midst of our waiting, and this is, I'm talking about faithful waiting, not sitting on our hands, doing nothing kind of a waiting, but a working waiting a working toward reformation, but with our hope and our heart and our comfort resting in God's plan to do the work, to accomplish that work in his perfect timing. And yet this psalm also talks that as we're working toward that reformation, as we're waiting for God to do his work, there are enemies out there. And there are enemies who are rejoicing every time we make a mistake, every time we fail. 
there are enemies out there looking for every little opportunity to take something we've said and twist it and manipulate it to make us look bad. And the psalmist says, Lord, do not forsake me. Don't forsake me. My foes are vigorous. They're mighty. They hate me wrongly, but do not forsake me. Don't let my foot slip. Strengthen me. That's what needs to be our prayer daily. Keep my eyes on you, Lord. Help me to do the work you've called me to do, but don't let me fall. Don't let me slip. Protect me from the attack of the enemy. Because there are true enemies in this battle. But this psalm also speaks to our own mistakes. He says, I confess my iniquity and I'm sorry for my sin. Because in the midst of this reformation, in the midst of this battle, we have enemies attacking us wrongly, saying nasty things, rejoicing in our downfall. But guess what? When we're honest, each one of us has said something wrongly. And we've attacked someone wrongly. And we've maybe even rejoiced in someone's downfall. And the answer is to confess that sin, to confess that iniquity, to seek forgiveness, and then to repent from that. We're not above making mistakes in this Reformation. Um, And when we do make a mistake, the answer isn't to double down on it, try to cover it up ourselves. The answer is to confess, repent, turn to God, rest in his forgiveness. And, and do what God has called us to do. But the big thing in this psalm, uh, kind of riding underneath all of this, is a reminder that in the midst of this Reformation, in the midst of our role and our fight in the midst of this Reformation, is a reminder that we need to put our faith and trust in God. We need to trust Him to give us everything we need in this Reformation. We trust him to protect us from attack. We trust him to give us wisdom and insight into how to move forward. We trust him to give us strength when we're weak. We trust him to give us comfort when we're feeling despair. We trust him. We trust him to pull us through. And ultimately, we trust him. We trust him to forgive us when we've made a mistake and we trust him to ultimately accomplish this work in the Christian reformed church and to accomplish it in his time. So we wait for him. We faithfully wait as we work towards reformation, trusting God to do the work because we know, and I reminded us of this at the abide convention God has never left us nor forsaken us. Why would we not trust him now? And because we know our God is faithful, we will stand fast and hold tight to the confession that he's given us and hold tight to the work that he's called us to do and we'll move forward trusting him. We'll keep praying that God will bring about this messy reformation in the Christian Reformed Church, that he'll bring this messy reformation to its fulfillment. We'll be able to see God's name glorified and praised as a result of the work that he's done here. 
that's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to the Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for our conversation with John Spronk. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Mm -hmm.